following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Today I want to tell you a story about faith, but not in the way that most people probably mean when they talk about this story being a story of faith. Because what I have come to understand over the last several years in ministry is that it turns out many people have a different definition of faith than I do. I'll get to that in a minute. First, the story. It is, as you can see on the screen, the story of Abraham taking his son Isaac up to mountaintop at God's instruction to sacrifice him on an altar. And we'll read it from the Bible in just a minute so you get the whole story all at once. This is one of the most troubling stories in the whole Bible for me and I suspect for many of you. But it is one that we can't avoid as much as we might like to. I think it would be dishonest of us to skip over this chapter in the Bible and pretend it doesn't exist. Not least because it's mentioned later in the Bible, which we'll also get to. So I'm going to read it in a second, but what I want to do first is give you permission to respond to it, however you might be inclined to respond to it. Some of you grew up in a situation, church-wise or family-wise or whatever it may be, where you never allowed yourself to really question what's going on in this story or maybe any other story. Never allowed yourself to argue with God about it a little bit or to... If God had a suggestion box, right? (laughs) Have you ever had a workplace that has a suggestion box? What is it really? It's a complaint box, right? It's not like, I suggest we have muffins that are blueberry muffins instead of chocolate muffins. It's like, this place stinks. Fix it. If God had a suggestion box, what would you write on a piece of paper anonymously, of course, because suggestion boxes are not just for complaints, they're for passive-aggressive complaints. (laughs) If you could write an anonymous complaint to put in God's suggestion box about this text, what would you write on it? I want to give you permission to write that out. You can physically write it if you want. That's not really what I mean. You write it out in your head. I want you to have permission to respond to this text um, like you're reading it for the first time going, what the... Because that, I think, the first time anybody reads this text, if they do it as an adult at least, um, would be the fairly normal response. So you have permission to complain, okay? And we'll make some space for, for that here and we'll talk a little bit about what it might mean. I'm not promising that you'll leave here having had your complaint completely addressed, but I am giving you permission to make it. All right, Genesis 22, verses 1 through 18. If you'd like to follow along in the Red Bibles, it's on page 15. After these things, and the things that it's after don't really matter to our story, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, 
And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he, carried, he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father? And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you. And I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves because you have obeyed my voice. So did you write anything down to put in God's suggestion box as I was reading that text? Go ahead and put it in God's box. Right? God has a very big suggestion box. He's been getting this kind of complaint from people for a long time. It's okay to do that. I want you to put them in the box and trust that God does read every suggestion. He's not always able to respond personally. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he does. I don't know. But at this point, I would like to come out and tell you where I'm at with this. If you haven't been able to tell, the honest truth is that I still feel very much in process in my own understanding of this passage of Scripture and, uh, and what's going on here. And I think I have settled on an interpretation that makes sense to me, but I will be further honest and tell you it's the third or fourth one that I've settled on in the last month or so that I've been thinking about this text. And so I'm going to present it boldly, but with certain level of humility. I want you to understand that I've struggled to get to this point, and uh, I'm getting the sense this might be one of those texts that God uses 
to tell me and show me different things at different times in my life. This is the thing that he's showing me right now, and I'd like to share that with you. Um, but you probably don't want to write it in the margins of your Bible, <laughs> so as later to confuse it with actual scripture. <laughs> so here's what I think. I think that the very simplistic interpretation of this passage is deeply problematic. That's the interpretation that says, the lesson of this story is that we must commit ourselves to blind obedience to God, even if it means doing something that we know in the very core of our being is heinous, immoral, (laughs) pure evil. Wow. So Abraham sacrificed his son Isaac and Dewey threw his wife under the bus. <laughs> hey, listen, man, cell phones are just, they're a part of modern life, right? Let me back up, though. Because Dixieland there, or whichever setting she has it set to, um, may, have, may have distracted us from what I was saying just for a minute. I think the simplistic interpretation of this passage is deeply problematic. The the, the interpretation that says that the lesson is we have to commit ourselves to blind obedience to God, even when he seems to be saying, do something that is deeply immoral, heinous, pure evil. It's the interpretation that says Abraham is to be commended because he trusted that God's demand for Isaac's blood was justified purely because it was God's demand. And whatever God demands is holy, and whatever is holy is what God demands, and whatever is... God demands his holy in this vicious circular logic that we sometimes get. It's the interpretation that says if you question anything, it's a sign that you lack faith, which of course means you're outside of the kingdom of God. That's the interpretation that I find deeply problematic. And you say, because a lot of you are Bible nerds, well, what about the letter to the Hebrews? In the New Testament, doesn't it say that Abraham, when put to the test, by faith, he offered up Isaac. And I say, yes, that is what it says, and that is what he did. He had faith, and he offered up Isaac. But I don't think that that means what you might think it means. I think, as a matter of fact, that our common definition of faith is also deeply flawed and problematic. And it causes us to have a flawed interpretation of Hebrews chapter 11, which we will get to, I promise, which in turn causes us to have a flawed interpretation of Genesis 22, which is the one that contains this really troubling story. I think our common definition of faith is flawed. You see, faith does not mean forcing yourself to believe something that you know to be untrue. How many of you have heard a definition of faith that goes something like that? You just have to force yourself to believe something that you actually are pretty sure is not true. Faith doesn't mean pressuring yourself to believe that God is withholding healing from a family member or a beloved friend simply because you have lingering doubts. And if you could just get rid of the doubts, then God would finally answer your prayer and bless and heal. And it's your fault because your faith isn't strong enough. Faith does not mean forcing yourself to believe that all the life on earth somehow magically appeared in a period of 144 hours. 
when virtually every branch of natural science has overwhelming evidence that that is not the case. And faith does not mean believing that slaughtering your child is God's will when you know that that is evil. If faith means squeezing your eyes shut and making some adult spiritualized version of telling yourself that the sound from under your bed is not a monster, it's actually a fluffy unicorn. <laughs> if, if faith is some adult spiritualized version of that, you can keep it. I am not interested. You turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12 for a minute. This is the passage that Dr. Middleton preached on last week. And if you missed that, if you weren't here last week, please go get the podcast and listen to it like two or three times because I think that's how many times it takes to get everything that he was saying. Um, Really dense and brilliant introduction to this whole series on the family of Abraham. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12 are where Abraham, who was at that time still called Abram, received his first calling from Yahweh, the God of Israel. And what did Yahweh say for Abram to do? Go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Lech lecha in Hebrew, right? That's just fun to say with that accent. So I might do it again in a second. Just fair warning. Lech lecha. <laughs> Go to, I'll tell you later. You'll see. Go to the land that I will show you. And as uh, Middleton pointed out, the verb can mean walk. (laughs) Like get, no, no, get up, no, get out of your seat and walk. Go. Go where? I'll tell you. Starts by getting up and going. And what did Abram do? He went. He walked. God said go to a place I'll show you later. Abram trusted him, and Abram went. That's faith. That's what faith is. Trusting God enough to get up and go. So let's look again at Genesis 22. Specifically verse 2. What is the command that God gives to Abraham in Chapter 22, verse 2. What's the verb? Lech lecha. Go. Go where? Well, he tells him the land of Moriah, but then what does he say? Offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. That lech lecha, it's... Genesis 22 and Genesis 12. That phrasing is, that's it for that phrasing. First time, he says, Abram, go, leave behind your father. 
Second time, he says, Abram, go, and you're going to be leaving behind your son. So Abraham trusted God, and he is commended for it. But that doesn't mean that he practiced a blind obedience and offered up his only son without a word of complaint. You want to know what I think it means? You want to know what I think is actually happening here? I think it means he trusted God that God was not going to take his son from him at all. Let me say it again. I do not think, at the moment, (laughs) that Abraham believed God was going to take his son Isaac from him in the end. Why? Well, look at verse 5. Verse 5 says... Stay here with the donkey. He's talking to his attendants. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship. And then we will come back to you. We. Hmm. Now, is he lying to them? I don't think so. He's like a rich dude. Rich dudes don't have to lie to people. (laughs) Right? I mean, they do. (laughs) But he doesn't have to lie to them. He could say to them, guess what? You're coming instead of Isaac. And they'd be like, okay, that's, that's my job. And then look at verse 8. This time talking to Isaac. God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Is he lying to Isaac? I guess you could make a little bit of a stronger case that he would do that. Depending on how old Isaac is, we don't really know. Jewish tradition, by the way, um, teaches that Isaac was an, an adult, or at least an older adolescent at this time, and was in on the thing the whole time. They were making this sacrifice together. But I don't think he's lying to Isaac. In a few minutes, he's going to be tying him to a pile of dry wood and putting him on top of an altar. Maybe the pretense is kind of pointless at that, at that moment. I think probably it is. Any dad can tell you, the kid already knows. Now, I think Abraham believed that God had something else in store. Oh, he didn't know exactly what. But he knew... God had promised not only to make a great nation out of himself, out of, out of Abram, Abraham, but specifically through his son Isaac. That's the promise he'd been given. So whatever this is about, Yahweh, what I know is that you can't possibly be meaning to go through with this. So Abraham's faith was not blind obedience that says, yeah, I mean, sure, God, I love you so much that this doesn't bother me at all. Show me the mountain. That's not what his faith is. His faith is in the promise that God had made to him. The promise that God had made to him about Isaac. Okay, now we can look at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, Bible nerds will tell you, is a a chapter that's about faith. 
It's all about faith. All about that faith. You were thinking it. The whole chapter is about faith, and it begins with defining faith, and then it gives a litany of examples from the Old Testament of people who lived out faith. I'm going to read the first couple of verses from the NIV. This is the NRSV, different English translations of the same Greek text, even though the book is called Hebrews. Um, Because I think the NIV hits the translation uh, a little bit better from my understanding and of, of this text and what this means. You can follow along in the NRC if you want. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And it goes on to tell a number of stories about the ancients. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. What does Abraham hope for? He hopes that the promise God made him will come true, which is that he'll make a great nation through his son Isaac. Abraham, by the way, actually appears twice on this list. One is the one that I hinted at earlier where it says, by faith Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. Can you guess what other occasion in Abraham's life warranted Inclusion in this list of great faithful people? I'll give you a clue. It was foreshadowing before. It's the calling. Lech lecha. That's the other occasion that's included in Hebrews chapter 11. His original calling. Look at 11.8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out not knowing where he was going. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for. He believed that God would be true to his word. I don't know how much he believed it, but he believed it at least enough to walk, to go to I don't know where. And then later he believed that God would not violate the promise that he had already made. I don't know how much he believed that, but he believed it enough to walk up that mountain with the very embodiment of that promise walking by his side. Abraham didn't walk up that mountain with Isaac, thinking that he would walk down alone. At least I don't think he did. And that's what the author of the letter to the Hebrews says too. See, I didn't quote the whole thing before. It's called burying the lead. It's probably actually not what burying the lead means. but Look at... Hebrews eleven, seventeen, and I'm going to keep reading this time. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. Yes. He who had received the promises 
was ready to offer up his only son, of whom he had been told, it is through Isaac that descendants shall be named for you. He considered the fact that God is able even to raise someone from the dead. And, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. By faith, by that faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. But faith is not spiritual self-deception. Faith is not the absence of doubt. We have another word for that. It's called certainty. You are not saved by your certainty. (laughs) You're saved by your faith. Faith is not blind obedience. Faith is trust. Trust in a God who invites us into covenantal relationship with Him. And for us, faith is trust specifically in Jesus. Jesus, by the way, the son who walked up a hill at the start of a three-day journey, carrying on his back a heavy wooden burden that would become the source of his sacrificial death. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided indeed. I suspect that some of you um, may be arguing with me in your head right now. That's okay. I suspect that some of you might be even relieved right now that I've given you a new definition of the word faith. There may even be some of you who have seen that this definition of faith was to this point a, a barrier for you, a wall that was up between you and God, over which you could not climb, around which you could not walk, through which you could not make your way to Him. And I have just removed that definition of faith and given you a new one. And I don't do this very often, but I'm going to ask you to make a physical response if that's true for you in a minute. Uh, God said to Abraham, go, lechlecha, which means walk, right? I'm going to invite you, as always, to walk to the communion table. But before we do, I'm going to ask you in a minute, if, if you are a person who feels like you have this new understanding of faith and, and, and can maybe see your way to getting to Jesus by that definition, having had the other one removed, to stand up where you are. It's a very simple physical gesture, um, and I want to ask you to stand up and, and demonstrate some lechlecha of your own. <laughs> um, and uh, pastors always run the risk when asking this kind of thing that nobody will stand up and it will be furiously awkward, and that's, I'm okay with that. Um, awkwardness doesn't usually bother me very much. <laughs> um, and if it's not 
what happened for you. And if you're arguing with me in your head still, I'm also okay with that. But if you're a person who sees that this wall of a wrong definition of faith has been removed for you, you want to step up and into and walk into God's um, blessing for you, his promises for you, would you just stand where you are now? And I want to take a minute and pray for those who are standing and for the rest of us. And then we'll, we'll, we'll lek leka our way to the communion table. Join me in praying. Lord, this scripture is so challenging. Thank you for giving me what, what seems to be a glimmer of hope and understanding in it that I didn't have before. Um, I pray that others have been uh, challenged by you and blessed by you in this and I pray for those who are standing now, who are making a, a, a go, a walk gesture in their own lives, that you would um, reassure them of the promises you've given them, um, that you have provided the sacrifice. And it wasn't just a ram in a thicket, that it was Jesus. Um, and that as they begin to take those steps, those walkings, into the country that you will show them, up the mountain to a place that you will show them, that you would continually replenish their faith, the confidence in what they hope for, and that they would find in this place and in their lives around them communities and families, nations, if you will, that would be supporting them in their faith decision and journey. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, um, would you all stand together now? And uh, I'm going to invite you to come to this table, this table which contains the elements of Christ's sacrifice for us. God provided the Lamb, His Son Jesus, and we are invited to partake of Christ's body and blood at His table. This is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. And he invites you to it, just as he invites me to it. We will continue to worship him in song. If you're seeking to follow Jesus this morning in this place, this table is for you. It's open for you. Come and tear a piece of the bread and dip it in either the wine or the juice. If you'd like to collect your children and have them participate in this, that's fine as well. Um, If it doesn't describe you, if you are not in that place on your walk, in your journey. It's perfectly acceptable to stay where you are, to think, to ponder, to question, to pray. And there, of course, will be a member of the prayer team here to pray with you. Uh, But our table is open to you now. Um, I encourage you to respond to the Spirit's leading, whatever it might be in your life, as we continue to worship Him together. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.